All right. So I was really very, very much looking forward to this interview with Dylan. And I by no means wanted to rush this one. I, I really don't want to rush any interview. So I will take note of, you know, getting past the two hour mark because this is easily going to be a three, maybe four hour episode. So um, this is going to be part one of my interview with Dylan Tobia. And without further ado, uh, enjoy. Hey, what's up, Dylan? Can you hear me now? Stevie Dv Damon. <laughs> Uh, I was recording just for this very <laughs> soundbite I knew I was going to get from you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dodgeball Podcast. In this episode, uh, I'm very excited for this one. I've got uh, Dylan Topia. Dylan, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Um, gosh, I... I don't even know where to begin other than, you know, we'll start with um, how I guess the community might know you and then definitely probably take any and all chances to go into the the OG, uh, you know, realm. But um, where are you currently located and um, do you have a team that you currently play for? I am currently in Eugene, Oregon, and I don't really have a team. Um, I recently, round three, played with Michael White on Overthrow. Uh, which was kind of a team we fielded with a lot of more rookie players that wanted to try out playing in USA Dodgeball. Um, it was me, Michael White. The, I think the only other player that had played USA was Kyle Beasley, and he only did it once back before COVID. Um, and so we brought a couple of Eugene players and a couple of Oregon or Portland players and saw how they wanted to show them how it was, let them know what the new competition is like and all that kind of stuff. So. Man, that harkens back to like the good old days when, you know, evil would go out and then we would try to bring the new players out. And obviously you were by no means a new player, just waiting for you to come of age, I guess, and um, show you, you know, at at our time it was what the NDL was the big thing or Grand Canyon State Games. Um, Right. I think, let's see, I think we played in what the second ever Grand Canyon State Games back when I was like 14. You might have, man, you remember Castle Sports, the... Were you part of that group that we would go up there like every Wednesday that Irene set up? Maybe. It was um, out by... Oh, it was like out in the middle of nowhere, right? I think so. Like I don't want to say pure, like more... Man, I couldn't even tell you. I had to it's look like, it, it was like Blade World, but in like Phoenix area, right? Yes, and bigger. And it was by yeah. Castles and Coasters. Yeah, yeah. I remember enough. that. Okay, so that was... Yeah, that was. I guess that was the second Grand Canyon State Games ever. Shoot, man, two thousand six. There's, <laughs> there's great photos of me and my my wild hair and <laughs> super skinny Steve Damon in jeans. Yeah, uh, that was. Uh, no, I think that was when I debuted my my Adidas starter pants. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, well, shoot. So, gonna gonna jump around a little bit. So, what teams have you been to? For? I mean, obviously Team Evil, right? That's. Yeah, Team Evil was the mainstay. Um, let's see, I may I played with Death Ball once. I think I played what was what was it? The Mountain Goats for Joe, back when Joe was trying to make teams, right? Yep. Uh, and then I was also on the Rock and Rolls, which is another Tucson team. I'm trying to write down some some years back real in quick. The day. Yeah, cause, yeah. So Team Evil, I guess, like the mainstay, 2007 to when do we? I think it ended what 20. 20- 15 15 2015 yeah for our um like the actual team kind of dissolving right and then uh, i was always like a sub 
<laughs> right? Because yep. we always had people who are like, oh, yeah, I'll be there. And then they wouldn't show, right? And it's like, Dylan, we need you. It's like, cool, I'll be there. Yep. And in your defense, you'd be like, I would have been here from day one. Yeah. You just you, you could have told me a month ago I would have been here. Yep. I got. I had to get over the age thing after a while. And then at some point, it just didn't matter. But um, so you live in Eugene. Uh, obviously, you're from Tucson, Arizona, like myself. Um, when did you move to Eugene? I moved to Eugene the very end of 2018. Um, and I didn't actually start playing dodgeball here, I want to say, until summer 2019. Um, but it was it was strange, right? So I now help run Dodgeball Eugene here in town, um, which was started by a couple Seattle players, Bree and Eric Shannon. They just recently got married. Congrats, guys. Um, who, let's see, they moved here. I think they moved here and started Dodgeball here in 2018. They moved here so Eric could go to school. Um, and then, like everyone else, when they leave their big Dodgeball community behind, they really, really miss it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they started their own. Um, and then I think they, they too ran it for a year. Uh, and then Eric graduated and they moved to Purdue so he could go to Purdue. Um, so they actually recently just started their own dodgeball over in Lafayette, um, which is great. It's going super well. They actually just ran a three v three tournament with some players from Chicago that came down. Nice. Uh, it looked like a fun time. I was bummed. I missed it, but I started playing here in 2019, but not at dodgeball Eugene. Uh, there's another organization here called Playground Sports, and they're one of those organizations that does like 12 different sports, right? Right. Um, so they do their kickball and their basketball and all those other things. And they have a dodgeball, but they're not like passionate about dodgeball, right? They do all these other sports. Dodgeball's not their, like cash cow, right? Uh, and it was 8.5 rubber, and I showed up, and it was the first night I remember I stepped on the court. I'm wearing all my dodgeball gear, right? Only person in the gym wearing Com- knee pads. Complete stranger, right? Well. And the first yeah. thing the people on the other team say to me is, look at this guy and his knee pads. Haha, ha, he's like a professional. And I was like, well, I played semi-pro for the last 10 years, right? And immediately they're like, okay, whatever, and throw a solo ball at me and catch it, right? And they're like, who is this guy? Like immediately, right? Yep. And so I got cheated against that whole season. Um, and everyone like backed each other up. Like the refs didn't like me. It was a whole thing just because I played before, right? Um, and then that season went bust and I played another season and my team just didn't show up. And so there was another team of people who seemed to know what they were doing. And one guy actually walked up to me. It's Andrew Directo here in Eugene. Uh, saw I was wearing knee pads and like saw the way I was playing slower than everybody else, like taking my time, not just throwing balls around. He's like, you've, you've played before, haven't you? I was like, oh yeah, I used to play a lot. Um, right. And then that team fell apart. We weren't even put on the schedule anymore in that playground sports league. And then one day Facebook messenger out of nowhere, Andrew sends me a message. We're not even friends on Facebook. So it was just like a, Hey, can you come sub for my team? Would that even be fair? Right. <laughs> and it's like, uh, I don't know if it'd be fair, but I can show up. Right. Uh, and so I showed up to a dodgeball Eugene league and haven't left. That's wild. How it just pulls you back. Doesn't it? Yeah. It's, it's very strange. It's yeah. one of those things where like when I originally left, right. So I played for a long time. Uh, I originally left for school. Right. And it was one of those things that when I left, like, I didn't really want to leave. But it was one of those things that was like, you have to do this or you're never going to graduate school, right? I had been in school, I think it was seven years, and I didn't have a degree yet, right? And it's one of those things where I really just needed to focus on me, right? And dodgeball is one of those things, I think at that time when we were doing Team Evil stuff, we were playing like four or five nights a week, right? in Tucson. We were doing our open gym. We were doing our team evil practice, right? We had our own Tucson league. 
I want to say we were doing a competitive and a non-competitive league, right? Because we were trying to get more people. And then we were also playing a Phoenix League, right? So we were playing a lot. And it was one of those things where, like, I need to take a step back and I need to finish school because I'm not doing that. But it was still, like, I was still watching everything on Facebook, right? I, I saw when the Rainbows showed up and finally unseated the Dynasty, and I was like, man, I missed that, right? Yep. All the cool stuff that happened back in Elite. And it was one of those things where, like, I had to, like, stop following dodgeball groups because I couldn't focus at all. And then I moved to Eugene, and all of a sudden I'm sucked back into dodgeball. And just got this uh, shysty grin on my face because uh, I've tried to leave several times and just somehow come back with the dodgeball company or dodgeball podcast and try and captain captaining another team. And, uh, you know, you saw me in round three in Seattle of all places and, uh, just can't shake it, man. After all these years, um, to go back though, just to give people an idea in Tucson at our, I guess our height, uh, 2009 to 20, 2013, 2012. Um, we had Phoenix dodgeball on Sundays we had, um, it would alternate between Mondays and Fridays, but the Americana Indoor Sports Center playing on the turf and we'd have league on Wednesdays, which, you know, that was kind of like our, like you're saying, it wasn't, it was competitive, but we try to make it somewhat social. So we had to split people up, like no more than two evil elite players, right? Cause we had, exactly. we had so many people playing elite back then. Well, yeah. I don't even know if it was, it was like elite was still starting, but it was basically like if you traveled, like if you played in Phoenix or if you played on evil or rock and rollers or berserkers, like we had to switch you up and that's what helped us grow was finally, you know, put my foot down saying we're not stacking one team and wiping out, you know, the six or seven random teams that show up. And then, um, yeah, Thursday night league in Phoenix, AZ dodgeball. And then I think Fridays, like I said, it kind of alternated. So whole lot of dodgeball and you know, it's, definitely uh definitely interfered with your your focus because as we were talking offline i mean uh you're buying a house soon right yep yeah so congrats Ho on that hopefully next week we'll see how it goes to to close or um we'll be closing i think next friday awesome man yeah well congrats in advance and hopefully uh see some pictures or or something but um man just 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 so much to go over um so you started playing in Eugene about 2018, um, or I guess 2019. Yeah, I think it was late 2019 when I finally came to Dodgeball, Eugene. And then a year later, COVID happened. So and then a year later, COVID happened. We took a little bit of a hiatus, and we waited until Oregon said, like, you can play outside, right? You can do things outside with a big group of people, right? Right. Um, and so we bought some nets. And we found a turf field outside that was just like first come, first serve. Uh, and we'd set up some nets and we got the dodgeball group back together and people showed up to play dodgeball outside. And we did that, I want to say, for like eight months. Um, we ran a 3v3 league and everything outside. Everyone loved it. And so it was one of those things where dodgeball is such a finicky community, right? Where if you don't keep up with it, it could die that quickly, right? Yep. And it was one of those things where I actually wasn't even helping out yet. It was the other people. It's Crystal Denley and Scott Brown were the ones that were like, we need to do something, right? We miss playing dodgeball. We got to do something. So they set up an outside league to keep it alive, right? It's one of those things where if we, if we stop playing, there's a very high potential we never play again. Um, so they ran outside dodgeball. They ran a league. It all went really well. Uh, and then our gym said, hey, you can come back. And we have been back which has been great. Like we played with masks. We did everything we've had to do. 
Um, and the community is still going strong, been slowly growing and get about one or two new people every week, um, which is great. Right. That's awesome. And I, I see your, your posts on Facebook and you just came from in, like your last open session for the month or. Yeah. So the gym we play in is closed for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and they are moving our Wednesday to a potential another day. We're not sure yet. Uh, mm. And so, yeah, part of, it's actually part, it started in Seattle doing shout outs, which is something that like we never did in Tucson. When we played open dodgeball, we just play open dodgeball. Right. Yep. Um, we did last man standing back in, back in Tucson, which is where it started, which I really love. Um, kind of gives people like a little bit more skin in the game for the very last game. Um, but the shout out stuff started, I believe in Seattle and it's a way for you to like help build your community. Right. Cause there's a lot of people that like all, every dodgeball community meets up after they play, right. They'll go to a bar, they'll go eat food. They'll do something. Everyone like talks and has fun. Right. It's, that's a big part of the community, but there's a lot of people that don't go and do that. And so this is a way for them to say like, Hey, this person did this really awesome stuff. Right. Um, like this was a really great play that happened today and I just want to shout it out. Right. Get people recognition. Um, and it's a really great way to build a community up. It is such a, it's an awesome thing. And, uh, obviously round three had that and, um, man, that was cool. Like I really love that tournament. Um, I, I was really iffy about, you know, flying all the way out to, to Seattle and playing in a one day tournament cause there was no way I was, I'm still, I don't, I probably could now, but I didn't really feel confident playing two days in a row. But still had a had a great time. It was awesome seeing Bill and and Alan and Lucas and realizing people I hadn't seen these people in like two years. Great seeing you. Great meeting some of the Eugene players and seeing like just it, it's you know it's growing. Like we go beyond Phoenix and you see that um, you know like you said dodgeball has been very finicky. So you can imagine how many people have left because of COVID because of the two year you know drought and people have moved on or they just found something else or whatever. So it's good seeing new faces and, and new energy, so to speak. But there was something about round three that just felt phenomenal. And then to, to cap it all off, here comes Lucas with his shout-out thread. I was like, oh, I forgot they, they do stuff like that. That's such a really yeah. awesome idea. It's a it's a very Seattle thing. Like I actually just came back from a tournament in Seattle this weekend. Right? They, they run a quarterly tournament called the Foamy. It's a less competitive, more for fun tournament. They use 8.25 foam, which is a little more... I want to say easy overall, right? Right. But it's not, right? If you can't grip it, it's still it's still a difficult ball. I'm not going to say it's not competitive. But the whole point is to have fun. Like, round robin is lots of silly different game types. It's not just dodgeball. Uh, and their whole thing is about having a fun community. And that's just how do that's how Seattle is in general with their dodgeball, right? And on top of that, they have some really, really great players, right? And they are just like every other dodgeball community. We all want to lift each other up and, like, if we want to be competitive, we want to lift our players up, right? We don't want to bash them down. And so that's one of the things that Seattle, that's like why they started their shout out threats, right? Like this person made a great play. They're really coming up as a great player. You want to lift that up. You don't want to be like, man, that guy wrecked me and I don't want him to know that. Right. Yep. No, it was, it was good. I mean, that, that thread was like 33 simple, single shout outs out long and each one generates some threads. So, like you said, especially if you're brand new and you know you make one play and somebody acknowledges you, that goes such a long way. Versus, um, you know, not to bash on any other leagues, but you know, we you just I don't see other leagues doing that. Like I, I could see Cactus doing really well. I mean, Cactus is doing a phenomenal job with the media team and you know, like the catch of the catch of the week, or sometimes you got some bloopers. But 
throwing in that, like a shout out thread every every week would be phenomenal just for anybody to to help um foster that community absolutely um, it's a great like cactus gets <clears throat> i believe cactus gets like a lot of new players every season don't they well yeah the, we have 12 12 teams this season right that's amazing now yep. imagine if some of these new players made a great play right and someone says hey i just saw so and so like take andrew catch him down and it was awesome right <laughs> things that would really lift somebody up making a little note to talk to grace or kenny about how something like that would look like we just started ourselves but um no that's that's a that's a great idea um just freaking seattle the the foamies that you did um i saw cards where it's like if somebody drew like a a dance card everyone had to dance and like you lost so that was actually that was a so they ran just ran a charity 3v3 tournament for the usa the seattle usa tournament players right right um i missed that by a couple hours so that wasn't foamies that wasn't foamies but okay. it's the same sort of idea right right where the way they do their round robin is you play your first game around robin is regular dodgeball then the loser gets to pick a new game type right and they have like medic mm. which we can talk about because we used oh, to play yes, that a can. lot right um medic uh no block uh ultimate if you know what ultimate is that's a we used to call it elimination in tucson where when you get people out they are back in when you get out right yep and that's a game type that can run for the whole 15 minutes if you let it uh so they would just do like different game types to really change things up so you're not just playing regular dodgeball right they do uh, they do vdl which is vancouver dodgeball league rules which is very fast paced and very very different um, if you don't know what that one is, that's what they do at Tournament of Champions. Yeah, Ellen was uh, talking about that, um, trying to trying to maybe borrow some of the some of the, the um, aspects from VDL with, with his league up in Portland. So I've I, actually, I think they're going on their third season, and they've been running those rules. Uh, and they run on play they, they play on Wednesdays up in Portland. Uh, and they also so there's a draft league on Wednesdays, and I believe there's a bring your own team on Tuesdays. And I believe that is the rule set, or it's like a modified version of it. God, two leagues, two which league is one of those things where the rule set is like it's regular dodgeball, but instead of having a team count for majority of balls, right? Like every other league does, it's the ball itself has a 10 second countdown. So once you pick it up, you have 10 seconds to throw it, and you can't just like bounce it, right? It's like you just activated a grenade. You have 10 seconds to let it go. Um, and which which changes up the game a lot, right? How How is that refed? Uh, sporadically, it's really like normal dodgeball. It's really based on the honor system, right? So if I know I picked this ball up, I have to throw it in 10 seconds. Because I'm going to come out on a limb and say dodgeball is the hardest sport in the world to ref. Um, because there's so many points of contention right when you think of like basketball or football it's the one ball and like the 12 refs on the field right yep dodgeball is two refs six and se six or seven balls and two refs can't really see everything right uh that's why dodgeball is an honor sport to begin with and so it's one of those things where like you picked up the ball you need to throw it in 10 seconds but again when it becomes competitive there's people who are going to stretch that a little bit that's the way competitive sports go people find a way around things um it's not ideal that's how it goes. Uh, I haven't played TOC yet. I really want to. My passport was expired this year, or I would have been there. Hmm. But you can tell as a ref, like, okay, I've been watching this game for a minute, but I've, I've seen Dylan. I know he's had this ball for like 15 seconds. So I'm going to hone in on him right. because he just right, conditionally exactly. seen that. Gotcha. Yeah, that'd be kind of crazy to, to experience because, you know, Tucson, we were all about 
running gun anyway. Like I remember the frustration we would have when we started right. playing against when Phoenix. Slowed down when we decided playing Elite and everything slowed down, right? Yep. But we'd have our days where like we're behind. Time to play some Tucson ball and pull out the fast speed, and a lot of teams would didn't know how to react to it. That was that actually happened last night. So um, I've been playing with uh, Acton and, and Abby and and uh, Robert on our, two, our yeah our Tuesday night team and uh, man unfortunately we're just getting handled trying to find our rhythms still right now but uh, there was one game where I think we ended the team in like less than 45 seconds because it was just bam 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 like running gun I'm like oh, I miss this feeling like even even now like after playing for so long running gun is still the most exciting aspect of dodgeball and I love when you see teams do that too like you just it's like all discipline is broken and it just becomes a shootout. And so you see some of the coolest plays, some of the coolest catches happen when that, when that occurs. So um, it's, it's always, it's always gonna be my favorite way to play. I, the, I imagine that happens more than often with, with BDL league or BDL rules. Yes, right? I feel like it's just very quick, right? They also do, I believe when it comes to one-on-one, they call it jousting. So we have every now and then in Eugene, when we run a league, we actually do a separate joust league, but think, like elite does their one v one, right? Right. Where you're in your small lane, there's three balls. Once every ball is thrown, start over, right? That is not how joust happens up here in the Pacific Northwest and in Canada. The way it works is you each start with a ball. There's three balls in the middle. There are no lines. Go. Yep. And it is. It can really change the game up, right? I believe that's what happens when it gets to one on one for a while, at in like VDL, right? It gets down to one on one. I don't know if it's 10 or so throws or whatever it is. Then it goes, okay, we're opening up the joust floor. Go. And that, that's and whoever's like left in the, in the game. Like that's not one-on-one or I'm it, sorry. Right. It'll, so if let's say me and you are on opposite teams, it comes down to us two and we're taking forever to get each other out. Oh, then it becomes There are joust. no more lines. Go. Okay. Right? I can run up and stand right in front of you and hit you. <laughs> Do you remember the, uh, on Wednesday, Wednesday nights, our league, when it was down to one-on-one, like, I think we, initiated like a 30 second or one minute like countdown to let the game you know finish if there's momentum there because we don't want to stop it then but then after like a minute had passed we would just stop everything and announce sudden death and like i remember a lot of hype every time sudden death would happen because it was yeah, a big st- deal stop the clock right yep. stop the clock yeah, and fun. then the more um enthusiastic people like rago would be like sudden death and then uh oh man <laughs> some of the best matchups I, I remember i loved doing um you know the the highlight reel for that that week and man i would just play out the entire sudden death and i remember there was one um was it meeks against rago that's still my favorite and that's still floating out there on youtube <laughs> Because just uh, people would have to understand who Rago even was, but um, <laughs> right, yeah, they have no idea. Yeah, sudden death was always. I, I live for this, especially as a as a ref. I'd be like, yes, like come on. I, I, I was would always hope that the 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 timer would you know hurry up so I can just call it. Because um, for us, it was basically um, not we we didn't do like full court, but we did you know the two balls in the middle, and I think uh, everybody started with with two. Because we played with five, I believe. Um, and, yeah, back in the day. Yep. Um, before we Man, get me to... And, me and Mason used to play one-on-one so different from everybody else, where we would each start in the right corner on our courts, and we would run to the middle line, and then we'd turn, and we'd, like, joust each other. <laughs> which was really scary to do with Mason, right? Because Mason's one of those people that could just overhand throw without stepping, hit you with a 60-mile-an-hour ball without, like, trying. Anywhere on the court, too. Yeah. And so it was one of those things where, like, that's just what we did. Yep. And it was a way to end the one-on-ones really quickly 
but like have some glory, right? Like we would literally like if we had horses, it was like we were jousting. Did you guys do that sometimes? Like you would actually pretend that you had horses? Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Fun stuff. Yeah. You guys definitely did make it fun and oh man, we we have some discussions about Mason, but so just to kind of finish the the current picture, um, what is your current number and, and why? My current number? Yes, in, if you have in one. In what, my number on my jersey or my number of years? <laughs> your phone number. Uh, no, your jersey number. Oh, my jersey number has been 17 since I was 17. Um, my birthday is October 17th. Uh, I really started being more competitive when I was 17, and it's really just kind of the number I stuck with forever. I should remember it because obviously Logan had double zeros, right? That wasn't you. Yeah, that was Logan. Yeah. All righty. Um... All right, well, let's get into it. So, speaking of Logan, what got you into dodgeball? And 2003, right? I mean... It's 2002. Was it two? Yeah, I've been playing for 20 years this year. I say that there's, like, gaps, right? Like, COVID, there's, like, six months of no playing, right? Your I counted anyway. Retirement. We're all dodgeball players. We count yeah. that year. Uh, and so I started when I was 12. <clears throat> I was, if I can remember right, sitting on my bed playing Halo back in the day. Right. And Logan is my brother. He's eight years older than me. Right. So this is a 20 year old. I never really got to see him because he started his life. Right. Uh, one day he walked into my house and was just like, hey, what are you doing tonight? It's like, I'm playing Halo, Logan. Duh. Like, what does it look like I'm doing? And he's like, uh, come with me, like put some shorts on. Like, let's let's go hop in the car. I'm like, all right, I guess you want to hang out with me. You never want to do this. Let's do it. Right. Uh, we drive over to the University of Arizona. And for those that don't know, the University of Arizona Library has something called the ILC. It's the Integrated Learning Center, um, which is in the bottom floor of the library. And the library has weird rules with, like, the higher up you go in the library, the quieter it gets. So the bottom floor of the ILC is very loud, right? It's where people talk and all that kind of stuff. And I just remember showing up right in front of the ILC is, like, a perfect dodgeball arena, right? It has, like, a circle on the ground. There's just... There's pillars. some pillars in the way, right? Yep. Uh, Very well lit. And I remember like him showing up with all of the dodgeballs and just throwing them down the stairs, and there's just a bunch of people down there waiting, right? And this is back in the day where we actually played Medic, right? We didn't play regular dodgeball. We played Medic for like a solid year and a half, right? Um, which is a very, very different game from dodgeball. Uh, and then from there, we eventually got kicked out one night when Mason kicked the ball into the sky and some security officer saw it, right? Uh, well, let's see. So that was like a year and a half, two years after playing at the U of A, and we moved over to Pima West, and we started playing at the tennis courts, which is where, like, dodgeball really picked up in Tucson, right? If I remember, we were getting... It was free to play on the tennis courts, right? Because it just has the timer. You hit the button, the lights turn off at 11. Yep. And we would get, like, 100, 120 people every Saturday. Uh... And we would play them all on the same court. We'd have 60 on 60. We would have every kind of ball you could find, right? We would go to Walmart beforehand, just grab whatever we can find, throw it on the court. We even rushed back then, which was scary now thinking about it, right? Uh, and we did that for a long time. And that's where we started, like, actually getting more competitive, right? We started, like, Team Evil started being a thing, and we would do Team Evil versus Everybody Nights. Those were always really fun. Because it'd be, like, six versus... 90 people and there were nights where like i was still too young to play on team evil there were nights where you guys would win it which is really crazy to think about right and then like 
security one night. Like security used to always help us if you remember like the nights the lights would turn off, security would be watching, they'd turn on their, their car lights and light up the tennis course so we can find the balls, right? And then one night they're just like, You guys can't play here anymore, which was a bummer. And uh we found a church all the way on the other side of town to play in, right? And I remember rent was like a hundred dollars a night, which for us back then was a lot of money, right? And we were worried like if are all the people that are playing at Pima West all the way on the other side of town gonna come and play at this church right and we have to charge them and i think we only charged two bucks do you remember That's i think it was correct. two bucks yeah, two bucks uh and i remember the first night like we were all really timid like is this gonna happen are people gonna show up and every single person showed up and i remember we would set up tables right to, to do the sideline to the court and i remember us always having to pull the tables out farther and farther so we could fit everybody yeah because we'd start with the uh if you're looking at it um I guess like a full basketball court, we'd start with like a fourth of it. And then I think, what would Logan say? He'd always say like open the gates or something like that. It was always something just, it was always so ceremonious, like expand the boundaries or something like that. And you'd push them out by like 10 feet. And I remember one time we almost went the entire gym. Yeah, we had so many people. Yep. And this is, we were playing pinch back then. Man, things were different. Playing pinch, we had basically bring your own ball like some people would just bring something that they found at target or walmart what have you and as long as it didn't like kill somebody we'd we'd send it like yeah, we had spiky balls those were cool i remember there's a scary princess ball oh my god that thing hurt that so rocky bad would throw and that thing was terrifying only rocky made that ball scary everybody else was like it stung but you're just like i think it's just more like you didn't want to get hit by the princess ball because it was like a toy it was like smaller than a softball maybe yeah it was literally like a like a three-year-old like play ball, literally Disney I think, it, I think ball. it had Bell on it. Yeah. Uh, and we had uh, we had the ball of shame, which was a cloth ball before we realized what cloth balls were. And why was it called the right. ball of shame? Uh, it was very easy to throw, and super super easy to catch. It would lose all of its momentum like three feet after you threw it. So if you got someone out with it, you were shamed, right? Yeah. And what would happen, like? Everybody on the court would scream shame. Somehow everyone Every, saw. Everybody, everybody in the gym would just scream shame if you got out with it. And they always saw it. Like, Yeah, it was never missed. <laughs> It'd always be like, oh, they have the ball of shame. Everybody watch. Everybody freeze. And then, yeah, because you're just asking to be caught by throwing that thing. Right. Uh, oh, man. But without a beat, too. Like, for from 2005 to when did we stop going? 2000. Nine, I think, is when I got booted. When we got booted out, um, 2008. So for a good solid three years, every Saturday night, you know, minus the holidays, somehow no one missed a beat when it came to the ball shame. Like just yep. some, they just never. And then you remember uh, Daniel Carroll, Darth Sheamus, yeah, who was, was, was what he did. That's all he would do. He was the Just master shimmer. <laughs> oh man, do you remember playing with with the strobe light one night? Yeah, it was terrifying. Yes. You turned all the lights out and the strobe light and you just <laughs> see someone get ready to throw and you're like, oh no, what is happening? I remember uh, Mason was, I think he had just started doing his like, I don't even know what you call it, like his cyclone throw where he would basically curl it up and spin yep. and use all and that spin. freaking momentum. And he was wearing a weight vest all the time back then too. Yep. I remember watching him and the strobe light was happening and I just remember him I saw him, I saw him grab a ball, I saw his back, and I was like, oh, crap. And then 
thank God I ducked just in time because that ball was coming straight from my face. And whether he meant to or not, it didn't matter. Like, it always found you. And uh, that would have probably knocked me out. But I just remember, like, there's no time when, when it comes to strobe light time. Yep. It was Gosh. it was scary stuff. Yep. We did a lot of silly things back then. I remember, uh, was it Mike? Uh, no, Mickler. He was trying to do, like, backflips in the courtyard. Cause it's like, for people that want to visualize like the Christ Presbyterian church gym is our multi-purpose slash gym room. And it was a really nicely, like it was a nice place. Nice, very nice setup. Um, you had people that would come to dodgeball, but they wouldn't play. They just hang out in the table, like Heather and Jenny and all them. And then yep. you'd have like these weird little clicks that they would just go outside in the courtyard, which was so cool to have. Cause it was enclosed and it was grassy. And as long as, you know, nobody did anything ridiculous and still honored the fact that it was a church, um, just became really cool. Like Saturday night hangout place. I remember at one point, um, you know, the kids were getting younger and younger and the parents were like, thanking me constantly for providing this service for them. It's like, Oh, little, little Johnny loves this because that's all he talks about. And it's the only way we can get him to behave. And if he, doesn't go to school or doesn't do well in his homework. You know, we, we, we threatened to, to take this away from him. Like that's a lot of responsibility you're putting on, on me, but, right. uh, I mean, cool. Like he's paying the bills, so send it. But, um, yeah, I do want to really had we never really had an age cap. No. Um, and it was more like our players knew like, Hey, this is a kid. Maybe don't hit them super hard. Right. I think the only person that had that problem was Mason for the rest of us. We, we knew how to take it easy. I mean, there was the occasional time where, you know, I would throw at, I don't know, Logan and he would duck and then you would catch right. one, but you're there's, there's the collateral damage that would happen. There we but go. It was like, it was never really on purpose. I don't even think Mason did it on purpose either. I think Mason was just never had control. <laughs> yeah. It's just baby right? Huey. That's probably still true. Doesn't have control when he goes to throw. He just sends it every time. Yep. Full send. So I call him the doom train. Um, so I, I, I do have points of contention with your timeline because, and this, this is one thing I was going to hopefully help, um, solidify with you. So I remember, and if I dug into the quote unquote archives of the Sony height camera that I had that we used to film, God knows what. <laughs> God. Yeah. I remember 2003, one summer, Logan, I think this is like Logan's second or third attempt to get quote unquote dodgeball going because for people that may not have had heard the story before, I feel like we kind of had this weird group where, you know, we didn't like to really party or, or in Logan's words, drink or do drugs. Cause that's, I guess that's all you can do. Um, on the weekends we would, I mean, he would always do crazy stuff. Like I remember playing capture the flag in the middle of the night. Capture the flag nights. Yep. Those yeah. With flow sticks. Nice. I remember we went out to the, the, was it the, the vineyards out down in uh, green Valley and played out in the wilderness. That was as cool but also terrifying because god knows what kind of weird noises we heard out there we used to play hide and seek in walmart's in the middle of the night you guys i, I would always goody two shoes bow out of that one <laughs> <laughs> he's just i don't want to break the rules guys but um so naturally it, it might have been 2013 yeah i mean i was still 12 in 2013 oh jeez. i mean sorry 2003 okay i was like there's Not... no way you guys are playing that late but no yeah so 2003 he comes up with the idea to play dodgeball. I'm like, whatever. Cause that's the, for me, that's par for the course. Like today it's dodgeball tomorrow. It's God knows what short of vandalism or just being a bunch of hooligans. Um, and I remember dodgeball for us was basically, I think it was me, maybe you Logan, but I do remember Mason and Mike Samoza cause Mike was uh, the camera guy. Right. And for some reason, whatever we were trying to do, like, devolved weren't, to, weren't we trying to like make a movie 
wasn't that like original plan where we we're going to make a silly movie and we we're going to have someone guest star as Chuck Norris, right? So I was and then the movie dancing came around out, this. And we went and saw the movie. And we were like, what the what is going on? Why is Chuck Norris in this movie? How is this happening? Yeah, there's so many parallels that we were talking about like how it, it was Urban Ninja was part of it. Right. Oh yeah, Urban Ninja. Oh my God. Yeah, there's there's, there's footage of this out there. Like I've, I've just so you know, I've kept everything. I have like this this archive of just gold. Like I don't even want to say it out loud. The website that we had. Um, I recall the website. Yes. Yep. There's there's Easter eggs for for those that actually want to do some digging. But um, there's also some things I maybe don't want people to find just yet that I would have to answer for now as a grown ass man. But um, yeah. The, the game Dodgeball at Mikhail Lawn at the U of A at, man, I don't even know, like maybe 1130 at night devolved into us just throwing balls at Mason. Like he, <laughs> he, he holed himself up. Uh, he, he took refuge in like the footsteps of a building off Mikhail Lawn and we were just launching balls at him and he was kicking them. He was karate kicking them. He's like punching them. And there, there's footage of this and I, I, I have to find it one of these days so I could just show people like this is how Dodgeball started for all the Tucson Team Evil folk. This is your legacy, right? So that was 2003 and then I think 2004, January, February is when Logan said, hey, you should come play Dodgeball again because I think he had done it successfully and that could have been the night he drug you out there because I didn't go until the second week. I, I also I just... only went the second week. That's okay. when I started. So we both yeah. started at the exact same time then because he was very adamant about, about about getting me to go. I'm like, I'm thinking, no, I don't want to go throw balls at Mason. Like, I've got a full-time job now, Logan. I'm, a, I'm an adult. I'm responsible. Man. And then um, I, I eventually go, and I just see all these people playing medic. I'm like, oh, my God. This is this is happening. And then it's a thing, right? It's a thing. I just remember it, it stayed a thing, and uh, the rest was, was history. And then... Um, we were playing medic for a good six months, which for anybody that doesn't know, it's pretty much dodgeball rules, except you designate somebody on your team that can revive you if you get out. But if they're out, you're, they're done. Um, which I was insanely good at in elementary school. And, um, movie came out in June, 20, 2004. And I don't know if you know this, but I remember Mike Somoza was like the, the main proponent of us adopting those rules. Dodgeball. Yep. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, I was like, no, Mike, I remember stupid. We, we did it, but we played sideways, which was up against glass. And I remember everyone like, we probably shouldn't do this. Yeah, that was because like, while this 8.5 rubber ball isn't going to break that glass, it's very, very loud. And there's people in there trying to do stuff, right? Yep. Yeah. So and then the rest was, as you said, moved to the church or actually moved to Pima, expanded. I remember the cops like one of them, like she didn't pull her gun on us, but she like had her gun, her hand on, on her pistol. Like, hey, we're all right, man. I'm like, we're. <laughs> We're leaving. It's we're leaving. Okay. Sorry, we're, we're yeah. picking our balls up. Yeah, yeah. We're we're gonna we're gonna f right off, and then there was like a a lull of like maybe three, two or three months until Paul Hilty. Paul Hilty, yeah. It's like, hey, my church has a big gym, like, and they don't use it on Saturdays. What? How about that? Right. right. Tell tell me more. Yeah, that was a uh, man. There's oh, there's so much that happened during those years, but um, I think the biggest thing was just how we started, which is really cool to actually talk to somebody that that was there now um <clears throat> eventually i'll have mason on here and we'll have like a little azog panel but um i mean from there was grand canyon state games connecting with phoenix meeting mike carrington meeting ed raymer sam he uh pruitt and all them and, and just getting 
to, under, to this awesome realization that other people are playing dodgeball and then entered the NDL and we're like, wow, this is like, this is a thing. This is, this is crazy. And then, you know, looking back, you know, um, almost 20 years ago, we're just like, man, like I love where it's at now and still so very excited for, for the future. But, um, had you ever played dodgeball as a kid? I'm going to say as a kid, like in elementary school before you started playing with us. Yeah, but it was always like old school dodgeball. You'll see from like old movies or cartoons where it's one person with a ball and everyone lines up against a wall. Yep. Right. And it's just like a bully being a bully. But that was, that was like it. Right. Did you, um, did you play any other sports growing up? Nope. My, I always was given the option, right? I was always like, my dad always wanted me, he actually always wanted me to learn how to be a kicker for football because it's like not an easy job, but it's an easier job than like being a lineman, right? You destroy your like, body. A lot is on the line for the kicker, but also like you're more protected and you just got to kick the ball. <laughs> and so he was like, you can do that. You can kick the ball. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that, right? He also wanted me to maybe try baseball, which is how I started learning how to catch because me and my dad would just play catch in the backyard. Um, but I never really was in one of those things where like, I was never a team sports person. Cause I just, I just played so many video games. Right. Yeah. I was the youngest of five. And by the time I was born, my parents kind of figured out that kids take care of themselves. <laughs> uh, and the way I took care of myself was by playing Xbox games all the time. So that's what I wanted to do. Yep. <clears throat> do you remember many, uh, was it Friday, Saturday nights playing Halo live with you and just getting just utterly destroyed. Um, yep. I was pretty good. <laughs> I used to call you guys grunts um, at Pima because remember they'd all rally around, like you and all your friends, like Nate and um, Andre. Andre, Andre, Max were playing before back Andre. Then, yeah. yeah, before Andre and Max turned into monsters, they were still very frightened little children. That's not even fair to say they they were very brave. Like, but they, you know, me or James Serrano or somebody would get a ball and we'd like start gunning for people. Oh, and man, then, James, I forgot yeah. about that guy. Yeah, I didn't. But we'd all we'd all gun for them, but they'd all like it was so funny because I remember watching this like one time like it's like Dylan's like the elite and these other kids are like the little grunts, they just hide under him. And once we take out Dylan, they all fall apart and that's what we would do. We just like start gunning for you because obviously you can you know, you could take full, you know, seventy mile per hour balls from Mason, no problem. Um you were fearless. So we're like, okay, well Dylan can hang, so get him out of the way and then we can mop up these kids later because right. uh, they're so hilarious. Um, and when I say kids, I'm, I'm, you know, thinking what, 11, 12 years old, 13 years old, pre -teen, yep. like teens. So yeah. Preteen teen people. Yep. Yeah. Oh man. They we were all very little though. Like Andre, Andre's pretty little still, but he was little back when he started playing dodgeball. Yeah. He's, uh, for those that may recognize the Tucson Dodgeball logo, he was he was the he was the I want to say the face of it, the silhouette of it. I don't know if he uh, I can't find that picture of him. I remember designing that with uh, Matt Rios, which consisted of me telling Matt Rios what to do, and he made it happen with his mad Photoshop skills. But uh, yep. man, the Fontaines were were awesome. It was really cool seeing them like actually compete on a higher level with the Rock and Rollas. And Max them. got really scary good. He did like. He really, and he was one that like, like me, he was always a bit bigger and chubbier. And so people didn't really like want to take him seriously until he hit you with a dodgeball. And you're like, what just happened to me? Right? I heard a lot. And he, and he would get accused of pinching all the time, but he never pinched. Like he never learned how to pinch. I don't think he, I think he started playing dodgeball when we stopped playing pinch in Tucson. Right. Or like right around there. Cause we still played pinch at Pima West, but for a while 
and like he would do like the duck bill grip, right? That's what it was. And a lot of people he would go to throw it and like it's a pinch, but it's not a pinch. Like he's not actively trying to pinch the ball, but he was literally moving the ball so fast that it would fold around his hand. <laughs> and like he was still like when we stopped competing, he was only like sixteen. Right? Man. And not only could he throw very hard, he was also a really great catcher. Right? He was one of those like really good all around players that you could rely on a lot. And we would do really funny things on rock and roll. It's like we had all played together for so long, right? We're talking about people where we all started when we were like 12, 13 years old. And we may finally got on a team together where like I remember a play at the Grand Canyon State Games. And I don't remember what team we were against, right? But I was in the right corner and Andre is in the left corner. I remember just straight up, we would just have conversations with each other while we were playing dodgeball, which would really frustrate people, right? The other team was like, this team is not taking us seriously. And then we'd still win, right? And I remember there was one day where one game we were playing where I literally just started talking to the guy across from me. And he was up at the line. And I was in the back. And I was like, you know, you're going to get hit right now, right? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, I guarantee you, you're going to get hit. And then Andre just snipes him in the shoulder. And the guy's just like, what just happened? Right. And we had, we had this banter where we could, we knew how to like fool around and make it look like we weren't taking it seriously and get people to make mistakes against us. Right. We're a bunch of goofy kids running around. How can you not beat us? Yep. That was your, you play that to your advantage. That was the psychological warfare. Yeah, and then, which is which is a lot of dodgeball. A lot of people don't realize how much psychological, like mental warfare there is in dodgeball. Oh yeah. Then you you guys also had the ability, like you guys are scrappy as, as all hell. So when you had to turn it up, I guess so to speak, uh, you guys had no problem doing that. I remember uh, Berserker slash Rock and Rollers. You guys were just very fast, and it was yep. very annoying playing against you guys because you clearly knew. I mean, we, we've been playing against each other for five, ten years, so you guys knew exactly how to exploit our, you know, Team Evil's weaknesses, and um, those are those are good those are good battles, though. Yeah, but, yeah rock and roll those Team Evil games were always really fun to watch. Yep. Man, Fontaines were. Do, do you need to talk to any of them still? I talk to Max every now and then. He's still in Tucson. Andre is actually in Phoenix, and I believe, or not, he's Phoenix. He's in Florida. I and if I remember right, he's a plane mechanic now. I remember he moved to Colorado for that, didn't he? Yeah, he went to Colorado for school, came back for a little bit, and then moved to Florida. Gotcha. Which is awesome. Because he was the one that, like, kind of took things a little slower with life and was just, like, he was he was a partier and a raver and stuff like that. And then one day he's like, no, nah, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm going to school. And I was like, all right. Nice. Go do that. That's great. Well, if Max is in Tucson, I'm going to have to drag him back to Americana because we're, we're trying to slowly, slowly get that going again. Uh, speaking of OGs, uh, Trenton not only looks the same but plays the same. Still, <laughs> just jumps to the left. Every still time. jumps to the freaking left, <laughs> and you know what's? <laughs> it's the damnedest thing, man. Because I remember, like, you still miss him, right? I still like, miss him. And How like, does this work? <laughs> I, was like, oh, I was talking to Beck about that. I was like, Trenton has been doing the exact same thing for the past fifteen years, and I'm still missing him. I'm done with this. Sh- I'm like, I'm done with this crap. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go to the left now, and somehow. Still miss like it's. <laughs> oh man, yeah he 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 hasn't aged at all. He's the exact same person. Still shows up wearing. Actually, I think he wears shorts now. I think that's like the only thing that's changed um, since <laughs> since you've been gone. But yeah, just trying to get all the all the old guys out there and um, you know eventually get our own space that's not a turf that's super humid and and poorly lit and just see where it goes. Because uh, as I've said earlier, like I I just can't. 
I can't escape. And so I'm done fighting. I'm just going to accept that I will play dodgeball until, until I can't anymore. Um, and then obviously seeing you and in round three kind of just rejuvenated all that. Um, even, even talking about it, like, man, we, there's, there's so much history that it's really hard to just completely walk away from and, and kind of just ride off. But, um, going back to, to you. So Logan Drogi out there, uh, obviously, you know, I want to say when we played in sports park, so when team evil debuted, I guess we sports park was like this gigantic, uh, softball complex where it's like multiple fields, um, right. ringed around each other. And so because of the movie, cause they wanted to cash out, they had a, a dodgeball league. And so we played a 0.25 inch foam and we were the shattered dreams because when we first went out there, like half of us were working at target. So we showed up in our uniforms and we're, we're playing and we're, you know, handling these, these, I don't want to say these grown adults, but you know, these traditional softball players. <clears throat> and then, um, I watched challenge soccer and then, you know, the bad team was team evil. So yeah, like, team evil. Oh, we gotta be team evil now. And that just, that from then on, it was just stuck. But I remember we wore all black one week. And uh, they called us Team Columbine for a little bit. I was like, no, no, guys, we're, we're Team I Evil. I remember like, that. I remember <laughs> that, yeah. But it's fun. And, uh, have you played on that team, right? Like, we, we brought you out there a few times, I think? Yeah, I would sub in when it's like someone can't play, yep. right? And a big part of it was, I think, Sports Park wasn't supposed to let, like, 14-year-olds or 15-year-olds play. Yeah, most but times. It was it was... Like, it's like, no one's over here. Let's just let this kid play. And the ref was like, whatever. I don't care. I don't right? get, I don't get we paid enough to like, card you. We were out in the boonies of the sports park, right? We were out in the middle, like the very end of it, out in the dark even. Yeah, there was a few times we got to sneak, sneak you into various tournaments. And I mean, in, in their fairness, like you had Logan dressing up as, as evil, like wearing his right? freaking dark... His full spandex suit with dark <laughs> eyes and the horns put in. And, and his cape and his... Flopping uh... around with his ninja shoes. <laughs> This is out there. It's out there in the internet, everyone. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when they they see this youngish-looking kid out there playing, they're they're not going to question that because everyone's paying attention to this this weirdo playing playing dodgeball. But um, okay, so sports park, Team Evil. Um, you know, we all went out to the first National Dodgeball League, Dodgeball World Championship and Convention, two thousand five. I think you went out there as a spectator. Yeah, I wasn't old enough to play yet. Yep. Because they remember, actually enforce the rules. Right. And then after that, I think you guys got second? I don't remember. I remember there was the, the quote-unquote team good that ended up winning, right? Yeah, no, we, we got we got handled. I don't, I don't think we maybe, maybe got lower middle pack, which was such a humbling experience for us because we thought we were just going to own everybody because we, we swore we were the only people playing dodgeballs actively, but it was a great eye opener because that was not the case, but yeah, there was this team called the all American apostles with chase Fendel. And if you can just picture a team of your model Christians, this was them. So we had to do the, yeah, we did a team good versus team evil where we were allowing all of our, all of our players, everyone right to play. So I was able to play. And I remember it got to a point where it was me versus the whole team. And I remember everyone like, this is just like at home, Dylan. Like, you're going to be fine. And one guy's like, I got this. And, like, threw as hard as he could at me, and I catch it. And that guy was just like, what is going on? Why right? did this happen to me? And then I think I caught him, Logan, who then knocked somebody out. He knocked out Chase. Yep. <laughs> Which is also out there. Just saying. It's a pretty – I mean, Chase jumped into it. It was his fault. But I mean, also, if you slow it down, Logan – 
who traditionally isn't very accurate unless the freak oh, yeah. odd chance he had to be was so i remember chase threw at him had logan on the back pedal but then logan like kicked off the wall to gain momentum and was just coming at chase full full bore yeah and then i mean he stopped planted tur- turned his hip and he was just gonna light chase up and like you said chase kind of jumped into a if he just stood still, that ball would have gone yeah, way over his head. went right over his shoulder. He would have missed it by a mile, right? Yep. My favorite was because uh, Logan, I don't know if Chase was the only one left, but Logan retreated to get another ball. And then, um, like, obviously like, we what? stopped the oh, game. What oh did crap, I do? What did I do? <laughs> right? Yeah. What did, you, like, you knock somebody out, dude. Like, oh, man. That's I remember it. we did, ended up running another tournament in Tucson after that at Blade World. And Chase showed up, and I remember like, oh hey Chase, that's the guy that knocked you out, and him being like, oh crap, right? <laughs> and that was, was that the weird tournament where Blade World played with like weird rubber volleyballs, and they played off the wall? Is that that tournament? No. So 2005, Blade World did the Summer Madness. Oh no, the Midnight Madness tournament, and they they, they used the partially deflated volleyballs that they allowed pinching so thanks for that because we that we were pinching back then yeah that was our bread and butter yeah and that was that was like i guess your first competitive tournament right with with evil just and in general i think because it was yumi rocky stoney or or justin busby not acting um mickler and asher i think yeah yeah Yeah, i remember them playing off the wall so much fun yeah, ricochets could could get you out. So if you, if a ball sailed past you, you weren't in the clear. You had to turn around and make sure you didn't get hit, which is really fun to play still to get you nice and paranoid. But um, man, that tournament went from like I don't know 9 p.m. to like one in the morning. We took second in that one because we just completely rode off this uh, like this group of like collegiate athletes that were just really good. I remember one time Mason was we were, we were scouting the one team that could be a threat to us. Mason's like, yeah, there's this, uh, there's this guy out there, you know, real tall dude, very muscular, looks like a swimmer. We actually, he's hot crap, but but he is because I just saw him jump up and just catch a ball with one hand. And it was just like all palm. Yep. But that was a that was a good that was a fun match. And then so that happened, 2005. And then 2006 is when we did the NDL tour stop where they came in. That's when um, Sergio Ferrari. Um, right. Oh, man, That's right. He played on that team. For yeah, that six six one nine. I think Chase was on that team. He hopped on them yeah. with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So Serge was there. Anthony was there. Um, Elisondo. Not. I don't think Koala was there yet. But Jim McMasters was there with his freaking bleached spiked no, hair. Right. He had the spiked bleached hair back then. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's a there's a video of that good versus evil, which is a really cool story. Like it starts with us eating sushi because that was our, our thing traditionally. And then it just progresses through the rest of the tournament. And, um, oddly enough, there was like this crazy, uh, sandstorm happening. And, uh, there's a scene where it's like, you know, cause Alex was, was doing duel to fates. And like when the music was getting really intense, like he's, he's focusing on Logan and Logan's like, we're going to win. Why? Because look outside. And like, he's like, he's like, there's a rainbow out there and it's, it's for us. And we're going to, it was just, it's a really funny video. Um, Man, so that was that was like eight point five blockers and the uh, the stingers were there. Right, stingers were alive back then. Yeah, those things were, were gnarly. 
And then when did you, um, cause after that, that's when me and Carrington connected and we started doing Grand Canyon State games, started playing at, um, God, was it that re the fitness center one? That's when we took second. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was the first Grand Canyon State games I played in. That's right. That was our first debut. Wow. And it was one of those things where like, we played a lot together, but we didn't realize we were actually good. Right. Yeah. Cause we never like competed. And then when we started competing more, we we're like, wow, we're actually good at this. Right. And I remember like Phoenix dodgeball started getting really big. Right. And there was always like a rivalry Tucson versus Phoenix, but we only had two teams and they had like 12. Mm-hmm. Right. And it would always come down to what was it? Us and headhunters back in the day. Headhunters was, uh, it was renegades for the longest time. They were right. Right. It was Chad's team, right? Yeah. Renegades. But then they would, then when, when it became like Rampage and. Right. And then we started mixing and that's when like Rampage was a super team back in the day. Yeah. Right? Then Headhunters rose up and then you had Monsoon for a little while. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was always. I remember, I remember my first Phoenix League. I think we did Evil and then we did like we broke up for the second because we did a co-ed and open. Right. I think we did Evil Open and I played on the Seven Deadly Sins. Yep. Right. Which was a Phoenix team that never really went and competed, but they were all pretty decent. It was usually like the mishmash players. It was um, the starter the starter team. Yeah, but like they didn't know who I was. And it was one of those things where like I still wasn't competing a lot, right? So a lot of the Phoenix players had no idea who I was. And I ended up getting an award that season for I think it was called the Golden Cockfighter. <laughs> and it was the award was for being the person that no one wanted to play against 1v1, right? Yeah. And it was because, like, I would always go and do my thing where I'd play, like, really vulnerable to make you think you're going to get me. And I was, I'm like, I'm not as good of a catcher as I was back then, but I've always been a pretty good catcher. And it was one of those things where, like, you're going to throw at me. I'm going to get you to throw at me. I'm going to get you to think that even if you're three and free in front of me, you're going to get me, right? And I would almost always close the game out with the catch. I feel like the the closer you were to somebody, the your catching just skyrocketed. Like the likelihood of you catching was just there because, again, I remember Mason just taking shot after shot at you, and you just not flinch. You so if you could withstand that, like at the time, anybody throwing at you was like nothing. I remember one time even I had you on the ground. We talked about this at <laughs> yeah. Dave Buster's. I will never forget this, and it's on film somewhere. I had you on the back pedal. You tripped, and I was like. I, and you see me hesitate because I'm just like, no, it's the deal. I got to take him out now. And then what happened, man? Like I throw at you and I wasn't holding back either. I throw right at so you. If I remember right, I was backpedaling and I saw someone else go to throw at me. Right. And so like dived out of the way. And while I was diving, you threw at me. So I'm on the ground rolling and you stuck me like right in the stomach. And I just held onto it and kept rolling and then held it up. And you're like, what just happened? How did that even happen? Yeah. I, bet I, I have to look for that video. I had stupid looking hair back then. He had a uh, very long, I had orange and blue hair, then. multicolored hair. Grade. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Remember you rolling and you just like pull the ball up. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And, like just like scamper off into the, into the uh, the the queue, just completely bewildered, but also mad at myself for holding back on you, which I really didn't. I was like, I should aim for his face, I guess. I don't know. Like, I was just so so upset. But um, I mean, obviously, we. I feel like we definitely tried pulling you into. Grand Canyon State games when we can or when we needed somebody. But I mean, for you, like, you know, you mentioned like sports traditionally weren't really your thing. What was it about dodgeball that, you know, made you 
play the song and like what what hooked you about it one is the community for sure and there's it's a it's a we're all really weird to want people to throw stuff as hard as they can at us right when you really think about it like that's not a normal trait (laughs) right um and it's the thing that i've learned like moving around like the tucson group we all had a really similar personality then you go up to phoenix and all those people are like the same people right and even here in eugene it's like everyone has this it's the the dodgeball personality is one of those things where like everyone is weird and we all get along really well right yeah and it's one of those things you're like you could go to chicago for a night and find the dodgeball group and go to the bar with them and it's the same group of people right and you just really feel like you fit in and so one of those things is that like as an adult all the friends i have now i've met through dodgeball like truly i've met through playing dodgeball right and so it's that's a big part of it but the other thing was dodgeball is one of those sports that you don't have to be in amazing shape to be good at, right? In my whole life, I've always been a chubby kid. Again, I didn't play any other sports, right? I didn't really do anything. Uh, I ate, drank a lot of Mountain Dew and ate a lot of Doritos, <laughs> like one of those nerds you hear about on the internet. Um, and it was one of those things where I still got good at it, right? Just by playing it. And I had friends. We'd go and compete. And it's like, I'm actually good at this. And it's not like... You can be like Team USA people. They all work out a lot. Like they have, they have to have the athleticism. You don't have to have the amazing athleticism to still play well and have like an impact on a game. And that's one of the things that just made me stick around. Like I've always been a chubby guy. I'm still a chubby guy, and I can still make a big difference on a dodgeball court. Yep. Uh, on top of that, it's also really easy to pick up now. I want to say it's more accessible now than it was when we started, right? And a big part of that is 8.5 is kind of dying or dead. I'd say it's probably deadish. Um, and that ball really kind of scared people away, right? Like when you have people like Mason or like, I'm going to say Brandon Cook or Sean Anderson, like those guys can throw incredibly hard, right? Yeah. That scares new people away a lot. But when you go to 7-inch foam or 8.25-inch foam or even no sting, it's less of a scary game to people. And so it's one of those sports that a lot of people can pick up and not really be super afraid of. It's definitely, uh, I always saw it as like, that was one of the perks. Like you said, it's, I want to say like a low barrier to entry. Like if you can get past the psychological fear of somebody throwing at you and you realize, um, you don't have to be in peak physical shape to play. Um, just stick with it and you'll get the rules to get a good feel for it. And then you can become an asset relatively quickly. And then, yeah, you might have six or eight people on the court with you, but at any given time, you're the hero because you caught somebody in or you got a double play or, you know, you did something or you closed out a game. So that's definitely, um, that's definitely one of the appeals for, for dodgeball versus, you know, traditional sports. And I don't know if I guess you don't really have anything to compare it to, but one thing I always liked was uh, the, it just seemed easier to play. Like baseball was so dang strict. So was football. It's like, I don't know. Just there's something about dodgeball right. that's just it's, very. It's a lot looser when it comes to terms of playing, right? Yeah. You don't make plays like like you do in football. There's like, there's double outs and stuff like that, but those are a lot rarer than like a double out in baseball, right? Which is that's like a conditioning thing in baseball, right? Yep. To get to get a double play, you've practiced that. Double double outs in dodgeball are all chance, and those are also things that feel really great, right? My favorite thing is like when I go and play in tournaments. And I play with people who are newer, right? And they look at the other team. I always have to tell them, like, I don't want you to think that they're an easy, like, someone over there is an easy out. Like, even if it's possible, they are an easy out. 
I don't want you to get that into your head because that person is going to surprise you and get you out and you're going to lose, right? Yeah. The other team is all great players and you always have to keep that in mind. Like I've seen very large people be the absolute best catchers in the gym, right? And that still holds up now. Like just because they can't move as fast or whatever doesn't mean they're you're going it's going to be an easy out, right? And I've also seen like the teeny tiniest people be impossible to get out and also have cannons. Like it's 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 not one of those things where like you're in peak shape so you're the best player. Like there are people who don't look like they're going to be good at this sport and will still wreck you at it. Yep. I don't know if you remember um, <clears throat> Jesus de Leon from Phoenix. Yeah. Little guy. Little guy, but somehow, like, little cannon. Like, I, I don't understand how, but right. it doesn't matter. What matters is uh, I don't get hit the pilot's car. Even like you were saying with Max, kind of on the heavy side, but not only did he have a cannon, but he also had the reach. So, like, you couldn't even try to, you know, take out his toes because he would still somehow pluck right. that crap out of, out of nowhere. Um... Let's see. So, because almost... it's, it's also one of those sports that, like, if you did play other sports, the stuff you've learned in other sports transfers over to dodgeball really well, right? Like, oh, yeah. footwork, footwork from soccer or basketball, like, that's your movement around the court, which you need to be aware of, right? Uh, being able to throw a baseball or a football translates over really well. Being able, if you're a receiver in football, like, the ball type might catch a little differently, but you have that inherent skill that's going to make you a better player. And so it's also open to all those people who are good at stuff, right? You just might have to catch up a little bit. Remember, uh, was it Zach Tolson? Speaking yeah. of receivers, that kid sacks exactly, his body right? so needlessly sometimes, but he would make these beautiful like receiver end zone catches that were just like, okay. Yeah, you definitely see, <clears throat> you can break down what sports these people are coming from when they step on the dodgeball court. Did did you uh did you do karate or not uh not karate, karate uh, kaju kempo? I did kaju kempo for oh man, I don't remember any of it, but I think it was like five or six years. I was at one point one of the youngest black belts in America in kaju kempo. So do you think that helped but you at take all? Take that with a grain of salt because I don't remember any of it. Uh, for sure. No, definitely and challenge you to fight now, right? Like, it was more that yeah, I would get my ass kicked. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. <laughs> uh, it was, it was more like the discipline, right? Yeah. And, like, you learn your forms and you practice your forms. Dodgeball, like, I'm going to take catching, for example, because when I started, I was so little, I couldn't even grip an 8.5 ball, right? They were too big. I was 12. But catching is one of those disciplines where, like, to really get good at catching, you have to just try to catch more, right? And I try to tell this to people, but they don't want to get out. And it's like, when you're learning how to catch, you get out a lot, and it sucks. And I don't deny that it sucks. But there's eventually going to be a point where it just kind of clicks, and all of a sudden you can catch really well, right? Yep. Um, and that's the discipline of, like, I'm going to go for catches this night. That's what I'm doing tonight, right? Or I want to learn how to throw a curve. I'm going to ask someone who knows how to throw a curve, and I'm going to practice that all night, right? And that's the, the discipline I kind of got from doing karate back in the day. Huh. So I was going to go on the side of, like, footwork, like, you know, shifting. Yeah, I've even, you used to do, um, I don't know if this is because of Kajikampo, I remember you, one of the things you used to do is, like, the little side roll. And sometimes yep. that would work I out really to. well for you. I don't anymore because of my back. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny, Chris Bell, if people remember Chris Bell, he has oh, left I... the dodgeball scene. But he, at one point, was a very good player, right? He was a pretty scary player, but he used to always tell people to watch me play because I make dodgeball look like it's really easy, right? Hmm. And a big part of that is I would, I still don't. I don't do 
extra movements if I don't need to, right? If you're going to throw a ball at me and I can tell it's going to miss me on the right just a little bit and I need to move a little bit, I'm just going to take a step to the left. I'm not going to do like a crazy flail to get to the left, right? Yep. Uh, if I just need to turn sideways, I'm just going to turn sideways. And that's that's the way I've always played. And so people like Chris Bell are like, you make it look like it's so easy to do, right? It's easy to take a step to the left or the right. But because of the experience I've had where I can like read a ball a little better than some people, that's how I know how to do that. Um, and that's kind of how I've always played. I've always, I will completely admit I am a lazy player, right? <laughs> like I'll still charge you down if I see there's a chance to charge you down, but I'm not going to, you know, roll anymore if I don't have to, to get out of the way. I'm just going to say, oh, this is just a jump or I can just drop or I can just take a step in a direction, right? I think the rolling was just more for fun, just for show, because you'd pull it think, off and then people I would get so upset. I think we have a video of Tucson Dodgeball League where it came down to me versus, I want to say it was Doug and Mike's team, but it was when Doug and Mike were still new to the scene. They didn't know any better. And it was like, they all line up on me and I get out of the way and then they all line up on me again and I roll. And I remember, I think it was Jade was filming back then. This was back when Jade was around. Oh, man. Um, Jade Tatum. And he was filming, and I remember, like, he just happened to zoom in on me at, like, the perfect time. And I roll, and then I – this is, like, I, I'm not an arm. I will claim I'm not an arm. I'm a much better arm with foam than I was with 8.5, but foam is easier to throw, right? Yeah. Um, and back then, I still wasn't an arm, and I managed to hit everybody out after that. <laughs> it's – uh, I know it's there. We have – um. Have the Tucson Dodgeball YouTube uh, pulled up, and I don't know if I I might have used it as a after the the highlights. I would sneak in like you know Marvel movie type of like just last minute scenes with no context at all. Right. Sometimes, most of the time, there are bloopers. Like one time, uh, Mason just got chested by uh, by Jeremiah, and. Um, you just hear Mace or, or and it's in slow motion. So you just heard Jay laughing like in slow motion. It's just completely random. So it's, <laughs> it's there somewhere and it cracks me up. I, I just pulled up. <clears throat> I just pulled up Dylan's awesome Dodge. I, this is it. I that guarantee you. It. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Casey Moses is really good at the, not the lazy Dodge, but the efficient Dodge where he just like, he'll just like very subtly shift to the right or shift to the left Right. And, and that's that's how I've always like you don't have to do more than that. Yeah. But a big part of that is the experience. Like you have to be able to read the ball and be like, okay, this is as much as I have to do. Right? Which which comes just from playing a lot. I've actually had people ask me, like, how do you know that's all you have to do? And it's like, well, I've I've learned, right? Like there's there's people out there, especially when they're newer, that think they have to block every single ball that comes in their vicinity, right? Oh, they go out of their way to block it sometimes. Like, what do you right. why are you and doing? And that's that? one of the things where like people ask me, like, how do you know it's not gonna hit you? It's like, well I I I've played for long enough to be able to read that ball, right? Yep. But I still, like, even now, it's like, oh, that ball's going to miss me, and then at the last second it'll curve or something. It's like, well, I'm out. I should have I moved a little more, right? And a big part of that is foam. foam. Foam, you get a lot more movement on it, so. Foam is, well, see, I haven't played cloth yet, but 8.5 and foam being, as I've heard, being a lot more linear you probably get away with that a little bit more. Foam is like, man, you put that ball in the hands of like Dylan, um, Odin, or Ketchum, or even Justin, man. Like, and right. they will somehow that ball will the teleport and get you back. The people know how to get some movement on the ball, right? And then it goes does crazy things, right? Yep. I've learned to love foam over the last four years because that's what we play here. But I would still play eight point five any day of the week. 
Well, you, uh, I'll just send this to you on Facebook, but I'm watching this video. So Steve Adcock, I believe with the step backwards about throw and you can totally see you're about to roll. You dodge three balls, stand right up like it's nothing. You look like you're lost. <laughs> you want to talk about being a effortless player. You just, oh man, I, I need to dodge two more. Took out Zyphan. Did you look like you just don't care at all? Like no effort at all. See, and see, that's the thing where like Chris Bell always said, I make it look easy. And it's like, I'm, st I'm putting in effort. It just like my face doesn't show it. Right. This is one of those things people also ask me, like I've been playing for so long. People always ask me like, how do I catch so well? Especially when like there's four balls coming at you. And one of the, re one of the ways I tell people is like, I look at the court differently than you expect. Like I'm not focused on a single thing. Right. I'm not just looking at the guy ahead of me or the ball to the left or whatever. I kind of do. If you ever done those magic eye puzzles where you blur your vision to see the silly picture. Yeah. That's how I look at the dodgeball court so I can see everything, but I'm not focused on anything. Right. And then when I see someone getting ready to throw and it's like, Oh, that guy's actually throwing at me. Then I focus on that one. Like I will tell you now, I will probably never ever get a double catch or a triple catch. If that ever happens, that's never going to happen to me. I am a see the first one, grab the first one type of catcher. Right. And then take you out if, if right. it's multiple. Yep. <clears throat> and so like, and that's, and the way I catch is it's more hands for me. Like rubber, the, every ball catches differently. And this is one of one of my advices for people is to try other balls, right? Here in Eugene, they really like seven inch foam and they're hesitant to try other stuff. But if you really want to be a great player and learn how to, and, and like just grow, you have to do the other stuff, right? You have to try out rubber. You have to play no sting. You have to try out 8.25, maybe even try a cloth if you can get your hands on them. Although I've never done it and I hear it's awful. <laughs> well, I mean, um, it's, you've had some experience with the ball of shame. Just right. It's just harder. Just go right? back 20 years. Yeah. But it's one of those things where, like, every ball is a little different, right? Rubber, I would say, and if you know Ricky Serrett in Portland, would probably agree with me that it's probably the most, like, level ball for, like, it levels the playing field, right? Because it's, it's not super hard to throw. It's hard to throw well, but it's also easier to catch, right? Right. And so it makes the thrower, like, me as a catcher, right? I've always been a catcher, never been an arm. The way I look at it, like a mental game, is that me as a catcher, I don't care who's throwing at me, right? It can be Mason lined up at me. It can be Sean. It can be Alan. It can be anybody. Don't care who it is lined up, throw at me. I know that I can catch it, right? But the mental game for the thrower is Dylan is a really good catcher. How do I do this, right? If I stick him in the stomach or in the chest, he's got it, I'm out. And so th that's one of the big mental aspects I try to explain to people in dodgeball. It's like me as a catcher, I don't care if you're throwing at me. I want you to throw at me. That's what I want. But you as a thrower have to really think about where you're putting that ball. Hmm. Um, and so when I say every ball is different, like no sting, like rubber is easier to catch. You let it hit your body, right? Anybody that doesn't know how to catch a rubber ball, that's what you have to do. You let it hit you. Your body absorbs a lot of it, and then you kind of just hold on to it, right? Seven inch foam is a lot more hands. You have to get your hands on it because they don't lose their energy as much as a 8.5 inch ball does, right? And so if it hits you in the chest, your chest is a springboard, right? And so there's a lot of people that can let it hit their chest and they can hold on to it. I always recommend try to get your hands on it because your hands are going to take a lot of the energy away, right? Yep. 8.25 inch foam is more like 8.5 inch rubber, and that's just because it's bigger, right? So it 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 loses its energy faster, right? But no sting is a completely different beast right it's got it's it's bouncier right 
So you get your rebounds a lot easier. Um, it's easier to grip, so it's easier to throw, right? Which is one of the, one of the pros of no sting. Um, but it catches more like seven inch than rubber, right? So you have to get your hands on it. Um, or try to like make a really deep bucket so that your body can actually absorb that thing. And so it's like one of those things to grow as a player is to play these different balls and learn how they all do things because they all do things differently, right? And if you're not doing that and you're just playing one ball and then you go, oh, I can play dodgeball, I'm going to go play a 7-inch foam tournament when all you do is play 8.5-inch rubber, you're not going to do as well as you think because it's different. You uh, <clears throat> excuse me. You kind of helped me validate some advice I was giving to um, one of my new teammates uh, she's she was asking like how do you how do you catch foam, and I just like well I, I can tell you how I catch foam, um, and I was kind of telling her like you can't this isn't like eight point five where like you just said um, you know it's gonna bounce right off you versus rubber if it hits your chest there's a good chance it'll absorb some of the impact so to like literally what you said to um, I guess divert some of the energy try like letting it hit your hands first and once I realized that and I stopped trying to catch like a rubber ball my catching just shot up for, for foam. <clears throat> so I, yeah, thanks for helping me validate that. Yeah. Um, and, and again, if you want to learn how to catch, <clears throat> you just have to try to catch more. Like, and it sucks cause you're going to get out a lot. You're going to make stupid stuff. You're going to reach for balls. You don't, you, you, and as you grow as a player and learn how to catch, you're going to reach for balls that, you know, mentally you should never, ever reach for. Right. Uh, but that's a big part of the learning process. I still right? And there's people, there's people here in Eugene that like, they, won't throw at me unless they absolutely have to right and a big part because i'm going to catch them and then i tell players like you want to get me out the easiest way to get me out is to get me to reach right but now that i'm telling you that i'm going to focus on not reaching or i'm going to focus on reaching and committing right yep. so we both grow like you learn how to throw outside of me and get me to reach and i'm going to learn how to catch that ball and it it lifts everybody up again it's like full circle like we want to lift everybody up but you have to go for stuff and it sucks because you're going to get out but you have to also be okay with getting out. That's part of the sport. I really like what you said about, like, you, you have a scenario where someone's throwing at you, like I'm throwing at you, right? And my mentally, unless I'm playing blackout dodgeball, which is my favorite, I'm, I'm already overthinking because, like, oh, crap, it's Dylan. This guy's going to catch me now ten times. I have to, like, aim for his toe or make him reach or just completely ditch this thing or try to curve it or just I have to do like I'm thinking five or six different options before you know I finally commit to one of them so my mind is already focused on how not to get caught out versus you are just 100% focused on catching you talk about like the psychological warfare that takes place you're winning that battle already because you just have one thing to focus on doesn't matter if the ball goes you know outside down curves you're just you're just dealing i'm just gonna catch like i really like that actually that's um i've never actually thought of it broken down that simply before and that's one of the things like i tell new people it's like <clears throat> one catching is the most efficient play in dodgeball i'm gonna say that right right it gets somebody out it gets somebody in right yep it's not the only way to win dodgeball but it's the easiest way to win dodgeball right and so if you learn how to catch and get really good catching fundamentals, you're going to be a stronger player in the long run. Because there's still a lot of people out there that like have really great arms, but they don't know how to catch as well, right? And it's because they, they know like the decents, like just get in front of the ball and hold onto it. But when you really like want to be good at catching, you have to think 
different things. Like, okay, this guy is known for throwing curves. He's right-handed. That means it's probably curving from the left. Like, you have to learn that stuff as a catcher and really practice it. Um, and if you haven't done that a lot, you have a less chance of catching, right? And so I always try to tell new players, like, if you're having a rough night, like, you're trying to throw and they're just getting caught out a lot, just switch your game up and try to learn how to catch, right? Go from there. Get the strong fundamentals so you're comfortable on the court. You're okay with people throwing at you. You can catch them, and then you can work on throwing too. Like that's that's the next step. Really like what um, <clears throat> what Winnie said when I interviewed her a couple, man, probably like a couple months ago. She said that she she goes into virtually every open gym or every tournament or anytime she's playing dodgeball, she picks something that she's going to try to work on. Sometimes it's catching, sometimes it's throwing, sometimes it's like a different throw style. So I think for anyone that might be listening to this that wants to improve, it's do that. Just like focus on one thing. And like you said, you're going to get out if you try something new, but just keep doing it and eventually it'll stick. Right. And that's what op- like open gyms are for having fun, right? Yep. There's a difference between playing in a league, playing in a tournament and playing an open gym. Open gym is the place where you fool around and try to learn things, right? Um even now, like seven inch foam, I can't throw a curve really great. There was one like week where I could throw a really wicked curve, and for some reason, I can't make that comeback. And that's <laughs> one of those things where like I try to do every now and then. It's like I'm going to try to throw more curves today, or maybe I'm going to try to throw left-handed. Or I'm going to. One of the things I've been doing lately is trying to throw between my legs, right? And that's not to like disrespect people. It's one of those things where I actually saw, I think it was Connor Liu, <laughs> a LA player. Yeah. There's one of his highlights where he throws a ball behind his leg and hits people. Like I think he hits him in the head. But it's one of those things where like that's actually a really good move to have in your belt, right? If you're retreating and you have a ball and you can throw between your legs, that might be something they don't see coming, right? Which is why I want to start learning how to do it. I suck at it still, but it's one of those things where like I go and I try it. Um, and it's like, I give balls away more often than not. Cause I don't even get them like a foot off the ground when I throw them that way. But it's one of those things like, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to figure this out. Right. Even if I'm sucking at it and I'm not hitting anybody or I'm not getting anywhere close to people, I'm going to keep doing it. Well, the thing is also it's it's different so like you know mason's behind the back throw you know eventually right. he it started with him just clowning around but then he eventually somehow was able to fling that thing almost as hard as he can throw overhand and that was just something you didn't know because it's you know it's, it was like playing against uh i don't know if remember gabby when she do the softball throw you're like what the yeah. heck is this thing or even page like stop it like i'm i'm so used to the simple mechanic of an overhand throw anything different is going to throw you off. And even, even Beck is starting to look really good with his behind the back. So yep. yeah, the fact that Connor can fling under in between his legs, you, you just don't expect that. And you're probably so shocked to even do that by the time I realize that what's happening, you're already, you're already out. So there's, again, just goes to that psychological warfare, not being predictable. Um, one thing I want to ask you though. So, I mean, you were playing for a very long time. You, took a break retired focused on yourself you're getting back into it have you had any frustrations like getting back to your old self like what are you doing to you know i I absolutely have and it's one of those things where like back in the evil days i was like our clutch catcher right yep not to use the word clutch catcher but like that was like my job right we would get down to just me and i would always catch somebody and there was a time where it was the tucson elite the only time we ran a tucson elite tournament right and it was I think to go to the finals and it was us versus rise. Right. And this is back in the, the dynasty of rise, doom evil. Right. It was always us three in the top. Right. Right. And I remember, I think it came down to me and maybe Brett 
right? And I like I ran up to throw, and Alan Stott ran up on me, right? And it's like I have to hold on to this ball. Like we're gonna lose this. I think it was like the last game of the of the set, right? And I remember I caught Alan out, and I got hit by Tim at the like right after, right? But I caught in Justin, and Justin is great, right? Justin Acton, he's one of those guys that is just super good at the sport without ever trying. It's really frustrating. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> right? Um, and then I believe Justin caught McMasters out and also got hit at the same time. So, right? And that caught in Mason. And Mason, for some reason, against Rise was their complete kryptonite. It's like they didn't know how to deal with him, right? And it was one of those things where it's like, I was what started that, and now we're going to win this. Like, we got this, right? Which we did. We, we ended up beating them. And it was one of those things where that was just kind of my job, right? I just caught balls. Um, and again, like we had Mason, Doug, Justin, Brett got a pretty good arm by the end of evil. Right. It was one of those things where like, I wasn't supposed to be the arm. I, that's not what I was there for. Right. I mean, but you had an arm though. So it, you, it got decent. <laughs> you're, you're definitely, you know, our, our catcher. And so it was like, when I looked down the line and I had you in the center, with Justin in the center, I'm like, like, pick somebody. Chris Bell, like, there's a really good chance whoever throws is going to get caught. There's an even better chance that if they target Mason or Doug or myself, one of us is going to come back in. And like you said, you, you know that if you're looking at the queue and you see Justin Acton next, and then you see Doug or Mason, you're just like, I will 100% sacrifice my body for that one catch because that one catch is going to pay off so much versus... Um, you know, bringing in somebody that isn't going to close for you. So that definitely ups the confidence. But for me as a captain, knowing that that was just one more weapon that I had was the defensive aspect and the regeneration aspect that you provided. I was like, oh man, like I got tools for days with this team. Right. And again, it was one of those, this is back before, like we didn't have a concept of like big three or little three or big four, like any, any of those things that are newer, right? We just played dodgeball. And we had played so long together that we knew what we were going to do. Like we, there were times where like, we didn't even make plays, right? We would just go and we knew who was throwing and we knew who was backing each other up. Like we never had to talk. And it was one of those things where a lot of teams didn't know how to deal with it sometimes because we, we never would take that 10 seconds to come together and make a play. Right. Yep. Which in hindsight might've been a mistake. We should have maybe been making plays, but we already knew what we wanted to do. We didn't have to talk about it. Like, Justin Mason has a ball. One of them is going to throw. I'm going to go up there and back him up so they don't get hit on the on the rebound or whatever, right? Uh, I was more like I didn't have an arm, but I was accurate. I still am. I'll still say I'm, I'm still pretty accurate. And that's what like I would always be the cover thrower. And whenever we would make plays, if I was one of the ones that was throwing, I'm one of those players that I'm going to throw even if I know I'm getting countered, right? Playing against Rise like McMasters, I think hit me on every time I would go and throw a ball. Like he was a really great counter player, but I knew it was coming. And it's like, if I don't throw this ball and Justin or Mason or somebody is throwing their one ball, that's going to be a catch for against rise. Like rise was great catchers, right? If we only throw one, that person's out. And that's how I've always played. Like even now, um, that's how I play, right? If if it's a play that we need to make and I need to throw, I'm going to throw, even if I think I'm going to get out. Uh, And that's another thing I talk to people about when they're learning like when to counter and a lot of it is knowing the confidence of the players you're up against right this is a totally completely tangent but like let's say i'm the last one in and we're going against some players if i know that one of the players is a really strong thrower and is very confident with their arm and is gonna throw at me 
and I know that the person they're throwing with is not nearly as confident, right? I know that if I counter the non-confident person, they're going to stop. They're not going to throw at me. But the person who is very confident is still going to throw, right? So now I just took it from a 2v1 to a 1v1 throw. But if I did the opposite, let's say I'm throwing against I'm throwing against the confident player, the confident player is just going to block the ball, and the less confident player is just going to wait, right? Because they thought I was going to counter them. Yep. And so it's one of those things where you have to learn confidence levels. There's so much more mental to this sport than people really think about. And that's how I've always tried to approach it. I remember saying, like, the few times where we'd actually huddle, I would say, you know, Dylan, Justin, throw. And, and it would always have to – I actually had to do this more with Team Octocorp during league night, but I, I would always have to say, like, throw no matter what because – that's what's going to happen. Like someone that knows that, you know, uh, Carlos just going to pick on him is going <laughs> to, is going to flinch. Like if he right. is throwing with me, they know I'm going to throw, they know my target, I'm going to hit my target. So instead of having to worry about two balls, like you just said, I'm going to make Carlos flinch. Cause that, that one split second of, of him freaking out is going to do that. So I would always say throw no matter, like even to this day, sometimes I'll even catch myself saying throw no matter what happens, because that is yeah, more you important. Wanna, you don't want to leave your teammate open. Exactly. Right? You don't want to leave your teammate throwing a solo throw, especially like a lot of the power players. And this is not a great generalization, but this is the generalization. A lot of the power players will throw center of mass, right? They're just throwing hard as hell, Yep. which is a very good strategy when you have other people throwing with you, right? If you're throwing solo and you're hitting me center of mass, even if you're hitting me as hard as you can, I'm probably going to hold on to that. But if you're throwing, even with someone who's like lobbing a ball, that's something I have to pay attention to. Right. So even if I catch that ball, if I lost sight of that lobbed ball, there's a big chance it's going to hit me. But if you can stop that lobbed ball from happening and now, you know, I just have to focus on that one, you have a higher chance of catching it. Right. And there's a lot to that. Right. That that's a big mental game for the thrower on Wells. Like, man, we should have had him. How did he do that? Yep. And then there's the mental aspect. Like you start losing your mental in the game. We've seen that happen. It's happened to us. Right. It happened to evil. Oh yeah. Like we lose our mental. We lose, we lose the tournament. Right. We, uh, I think we, it's weird. Cause like, like you said, sometimes the six of us, even if we had an eight man roster, we would just be in sync, but it wouldn't take much to, how do I say it? When we had that, we were unstoppable, but sometimes it wouldn't take much to find that weak chink and then we'd fall apart. A great right. example I is mean, Doom. That same tournament where we beat Rise, right? Exactly. I was going to say Doom. That's that. There's that one 10 second game that they have recorded, right? It's the fastest game of dodgeball ever where they just ran right over us. Yeah. And that was, that was and, the thing. Like, and we could then not that get crushed in sync. our mental after that. It's like, how do we come back from that? Oh yeah, that and it was insanely embarrassing. But you can you can tell even like I think Justin even just turns his back because he's like, we're, there's no way we're, we're done. Like he just takes the shot and walks off. Right. And I wasn't on the court, so I was marked safe from that. But so that that's what it was. You were uh, it's <laughs> Dylan marks himself safe from the doom <laughs> devastation. Right, and it's it's but that's like a big thing, right? If you get ran over and all of a sudden your mental is crushed. You're, you're not coming back from that, right? And that's that's every sport is like that, right? Yep. And that's that's another that's like another one of the reasons why I quote unquote retired. I'm gonna use the word retire from now on, but I didn't really retire, obviously, because I'm back, right? Um, I stopped having fun at one point, like, and that's one of the reasons I stopped. Like, this is one of those sports where if you're not having fun, you're not gonna perform well, right? 
Yep. And as soon as you realize you're not having fun, you need to do whatever you do to get yourself back into them. And like, even if it's like, I need to take a 10 minute break or I need to take a week off or I need to take seven years off like I did. Right. It's one of those things where you really have to be in the right mental space or you're just not going to perform well for your team. And like, there's a lot of open dodgeball players that play very selfishly and very solo and that's fine and open dodgeball. But when you're playing a team sport, you gotta, you gotta be in the right space for your team. That's just the way it is. Right. Uh, The, um, like we said about if you're not having fun with dodgeball, because to this day, there aren't any actual professional dodgeball players. Like, yeah, you can win money. There's Team USA, but you're still, like, it's not your salary. It's not your li- right. livelihood. You're, you're so. quote unquote professional just because you made some money, but it's not, you're not sponsored. You're not getting the paycheck, right? Yeah. You still have to work the next day. And so this is still for, I would imagine, 99% of the players out there, this is still an escape. It's still a hobby. It's still for fun. So if it's not, uh, if it's causing you more anxiety and stress than it is good, then then I think sometimes the best thing to do is walk away for a little bit and come back when it's fun. Exactly. Yep. Um, I mean, I feel like I might know the answer to this question, but do you have a favorite ball type? I'm still an 8.5 lover. Um, probably always will be. Ricky, uh, Ricky Sarek likes this comment. Yes. Yes, he does. Uh, me and Ricky have talked about this a lot, <laughs> yeah. um, which is funny because I only met Ricky at an 8.5 tournament like two years ago. It was the first time I met him. And Wild. I would say we're pretty decent friends now. And it's all been because we talk about 8.5. Um, <laughs> uh, if I had to choose, see, it's it depends on the tournament for me, right? If you're doing a for fun tournament, like the Foamy I just played, I do think 8.25 is great for that. And it's because... The for fun tournaments, like charity tournaments and stuff, bring in a lot of newer players, right? And you don't want to be as competitive with them. You want them to stick around. That's that's part of the community, right? But when it comes to being really competitive right now, I think 7-inch is my favorite with a caveat in that 7-inch is a thrower's ball for sure, right? Like, it's so much harder to catch than all the other balls, Right, you can get so much movement on it. It if you don't get your hands on it, you have a less chance of holding onto it. Um, and so the sport has changed a lot over the years. Right, last time I played, I'm going to say last time, but like before I quote unquote retired, 8.5 was the only ball played. Right, um, and so things have changed drastically. Like no sting became a thing. I remember it was out, but like no one was playing it. Foam. I remember we would play foam in Tucson and every single time we're like, why are we doing this? This is awful. Right. We had one we recreational it foam so league much. and it was terrible. Yep. Right. Um, and a big part of that was we were always playing 8.5. The ball is so much heavier. It throws so much different that we just, nobody knew how to throw it. <laughs> um, but like, I wish I could say seven inch was more even. Right. Which is, which is what I love about 8.5. Right. It's, it's less of a thrower's ball. It's easier to catch, but it can still be thrown, right? Um, I've heard the same about cloth. Like, I've heard from Paige Peterson says she thinks it's, like, the most even ball. Like, it's throwable and it's catchable. I know Vince Marchbanks loves it a lot. Um, it's just the rules for cloth ball are completely bonkers. Right. And so it's 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 it really depends on the scene, I guess. It depends on the tournament for me, right? 
like if, if it was up to me and it's like, man, I want a really competitive tournament, I would pick 8.5 every day because it's the even ball, right? That's how you get how you get more competitive than that. Um, but that's not the way the world's going, right? Which is why the balls have changed so much. Like the the, the national or international tournament that's coming up is cloth and foam, right? And it's like if you want to grow to get to that level, you have to play cloth or foam. You can't just say I love 8.5. It's the only ball I'll play. As much as I wish we could just say that. Yeah, it's very frustrating to watch it die as slowly and agonizing as it's been dying. And right. I would venture that if maybe it might be too late because of like maybe <clears throat> pre-pandemic, if we had had a 8.5 only tournament and just drowned out everyone else demanding foam or no saying just said, no, this is, this is going to be the one 8.5 term of the year that we're going to have. I think we'd still be surprised how many people would show up for it. Cause I, I feel like with foam and maybe I'll get flagged for this. Maybe I won't with foam. It's just like the louder people. It's like the loud minority that are calling for foam and the rest of us are, are just kind of going along with it because it's just what leagues are providing. Like in my case, I could be a staunch 8.5 until I'm no longer playing, but I'm not gonna be able to play anywhere. So in order for me to to play, I had to adopt foam and it is fun. I mean, it, it's, it definitely is more forgiving. I feel it's a great way to introduce new, new players, but, um, I still think there's a lot of like, not closet 8.5ers out there, but I think if we had it out there, we would see a lot more of the OG players like Ricky and others like coming out for it because it's still, it's still so much fun to play. And, um, I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, age is also a thing. Like I do definitely feel like I would need to condition to play 0.5 again before I could go back to the old, old days. Yeah. But I definitely think it, um, <clears throat> I don't want to say it was forced on us. I just think it was, I think we met, we maybe for the, for the sake of just playing, we just let it happen. Same thing with cloth. Like foam is just more accessible, right? It's less scary. More people can throw it. And yeah. that's the big deal, right? If you're not, if you're not a thrower, you feel like you're contrib- you're contributing less to the team or contributing less even in open. Like you're just kind of standing there. You can't throw the ball, right? So being able to throw a ball easier makes you feel more included, and I totally get that. Um, but at the same time, like the reason I'm going to say the reason Tucson dodgeball died, right? It's starting back up. Good. I'm glad. The reason it died is we were all really good at it, and when new people showed up, we wouldn't tone it down. Right, like our competitive league. If you remember, the, I think the last season we had, I think they were, I think they named themselves Team America, and they were like a bunch of college kids, right? Fat kids, yeah. And while we had all these elite members on different teams who knew what they were doing with this ball and didn't take it easy on these college kids, and I think they showed up for three weeks and they never came back, right? And it got to the point where that was happening in our open gyms and stuff too, right? All of our big players would show up and they wouldn't tone it down, and that's what the difference is with foam. Like you can, you can whip a foam ball and even if you hit someone square in the chest as hard as you can, it doesn't hurt at all. Right. It's a little, maybe it's a little startling for someone who's new, but it's like, you just hit him with a couch cushion. Yeah. You're not, unless you get a, unless you get jammed or like hit in the, like jammed finger or get hit like in the eye. It's not really a big deal. Yeah. And I think that's why the ball became so prominent so quickly because all these others, like all these other organizations started up. Right. And that's how they got their players. 
And then from there, if you branch out like, man, I want to play in this USA tournament, but they're running 8.5 rubber, we got to practice the 8.5 rubber, then you start that, right? Yep. Well, I mean, look at how how Tucson Dodgeball League finally took off. It was, we had five teams, and I didn't let, I, I think maybe with the exception of like two people, I made everybody else sit out. So you either refed or you just didn't play, and I did right. get a lot of flack for that. But then the result was... The engineers. We got, we got six new teams. Yeah, yeah, right. Like Steve Adcock and all of them stuck around. Right? Yeah, they, they went and told their friends, and I was like, okay, I'll let the vets play, but that's what it was. It was no more than two vets per right. per team, and that's what helped. But somewhere along the way, towards, you know, like I, I think it was saying 2012, 2013, like all these these teams kind of just stayed embedded. Like I remember Chris Bell stayed with uh, Dodge These Men for like the Rubens right. for a long Justin, time. And, Justin Acton, Jeff Nichols had the Dynasty team that won like every season. Yeah, the right? tryhards. And yeah. so it, it kind of just, yeah, we elevated a lot of brand new players, turned them into vets, and then it became like its own core group. And so we're very closed off to obnoxious frat teams like Team America. But um, you're absolutely right. I mean, e- even now, like um, if you look at Cactus Dodgeball, the last couple of open gym sessions have been just packed, like two courts, like 20 people per side, just in a, an insane amount of new players showing up. And yeah, catch them, may rock one of them, probably not even intentionally, with a foam ball. And it's, like you said, it's, it's a little... They just go, man, that sucks, I'm out. That's or, it. Though, holy right? crap, like, that oh guy's... Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Or it's not like, ow, oh, my chest is bruised. Right? Yeah. But, and the retention has been a lot better. Like, they, they come back the next week, and then now we have a tournament, now we have a, a 12 um, team a 12 season. 12 league, right. So, but I definitely, even even to this extent, like, one day, hopefully, we get to a point where we have a rookie league like this is for beginners only like i don't like there's there's no one playing that plays on premier or elite dodgeball like right. this is just for brand new players and you know that that would be the day cuz that just shows like we're kind of like now we're like softball where there's like various divisions of, of skill levels but right someday. and i know that's actually something weho does they actually run like skills nights where before their league and it's like they're they're not competitive league they like teach people how to catch and how to throw the ball correctly and all that kind of stuff right and that's something that that's smart i think every organization should figure out once they get enough people right and that's the hard thing is once you get a lot of new people teaching them stuff right and you can teach them a lot of stuff on the court but it's they have less of a chance to work on it because they're playing right yeah yeah because you're playing then you you know you you want to win so Naturally, right. the so you're more like, experienced players take I don't over. try out this curve right now because every time I try it, I lob it, and that's an easy catch, right? But like, really, you want to learn how to throw a curveball. Yep. Yeah, that's the problem I have with my with my team is like, yeah, we got Justin and Robert and Abby and Kirsten, but then we're gonna we have some players that are either new or or just haven't had that experience, and you want them to feel involved too. So you don't want to always like expect them to fetch balls for you. Because it's it's a recreational league at the end of the day, but at the same time we also don't want to be losing. So, but um, yep. that's that's the hard part about yep. like I will tell people the fastest way to grow in dodgeball is to play in a league, right? Whether it's competitive or it's more social, and a big part of that is you learn team aspects, right? Like you can play open dodgeball as much as you want, but you don't really learn about ball control um, or like positions on the court, things like that, right? You just hop in and play. But when you start playing in a league and you start realizing the strategy of like, if you're playing with a burden ball, there's burden ball strategies, right? Mm-hmm. That's a completely different thing. There's 
the ball control in general, like if you give up all your balls, someone on your team is out now, right? That's just, that's how it's going to happen, right? Or keeping your wings loaded so that they can counter, or if you have a good middle counter, like learning these things you learn, you pick up in league much faster than picking up in open, right? And while open is the place to go and fool around and learn things, league is where you put it into practice. And that's the way, like, that's the easiest way to learn from the stronger players is that they've done these leagues and they can tell you, like, this is this is how you get Steve out, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was always cool watching you guys. Um, like, because we would play, and this is not necessarily so much aimed at you, Brett Bax was a great example. So we pulled Brett from this ridiculously tournament epic, muddy rain. tournament. Yeah. Yep. He shows up, he starts playing open gym, then the next level is to play league, and then the next level is to go to Phoenix for an open right. gym or two. Then the next level is to play in an I actual tournament. Yep. Right. And you just see like every with every like new venue not no, with every new event, they come back and the the skills just like grow exponentially. Like they just like leveled up a couple of levels. And that's that's exactly it. I mean you just gotta stick with it and then and grow and like trying to bring uh Beck and Robert out again, especially since they've been dormant for so long. You I've I've seen Beck's skills just like he's almost back to like what, twenty fourteen level Beck. Yep. Robert's a little bit more in his head because I think he's just he's not uh where he used to be. And he's Robert's very... also always been one of those more quiet analytical types. Yeah, he's definitely <laughs> so... overthinking things right now. Yeah. But I guarantee you by the end of the season, he's going to be a monster because of that. Because you can only play against me and Justin and Beck and Brendan, who, who does the same thing over and over again so many times until like you need something to, you know, have to like catch him throw at you or, or the, you know, some of these practice dodgeball players that you're not used to at all. It's just, I mean, it's right. just how you grow in general. Um, yeah, we actually have a player here in Eugene. His name is Junior. And we played in, he played in this foamy that just happened, but the foamy before it. So the foamy's quarterly. We played in the previous foamy as well. And he realized right then and there, he's like, man, I have a lot of growing to do, right? And he's already a really good catcher, right? And then he ordered some knee pads from you, right? Hmm. And he jumped a lot, right? And he didn't ever wear knee pads, so he never used his knee pads. He jumped a lot. The first night he put on his knee pads, he just immediately stopped jumping, and his catching grew so quickly, right? And it's one of those things where he played in a tournament and realized, like, I want to be better at this. That's right? awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a lot of credit because breaking the jumping habit is so hard to do. Mike Mirhofer, <laughs> me. Right. It's one of those <laughs> things where I, I tell people jumping is a crutch, and I don't mean that as a super bad thing but it's kind of a bad thing. And it's because once you jump, you can't maneuver, right? You can turn, but you're coming back down on the ground, right? right? And if that's your habit, someone like Sean Anderson is going to pump you and get you to jump and then you're out. He's going to light you up, right? And there's some people that like, like Spencer is another player in Portland. He's actually was a Seattle player in Portland. He can stay behind his ball all the way until he's back on the ground. So it works out for some people, right? He's super lanky. He can jump up in the air and then stay behind his ball. And he's a lot more protected. But I would still say, like, once you're in the air, you only have one direction you can go, and it's back down, right? Yep. But if you learn to drop more or slide to the left or right, you have that in your pocket. You shouldn't just be doing the one thing. And a lot of people learn to jump, and they realize they can jump pretty high, and it keeps them alive a lot, and then they can't break that, right? I got to that point. I did Insanity with Mason back in the day. <laughs> um, and at that point, I was probably in the best shape of my life, and I could jump 
surprisingly high. And I remember one time, I don't know if you ever talked to Elmer anymore, I double jumped. I swear to God, I double jumped. I jumped, and on my way back down, Elmer threw a ball at me, and I got higher in the air. And I remember looking at him, he's like, what just happened, right? <laughs> but I got to the point where, like, Insanity does so much jumping that that, that was all I did. And, right, and I was a catcher, and I would still just jump instead of catching. And it was one of those habits where like, I had to, like, literally tell myself, like, you're wearing knee pads. You need to start using them, right? Yeah. And that's what something Junior's like, I'm wearing knee pads. I'm going to drop. And he immediately started doing it, and I hate it. Were, were these the, the V2s that he got? Uh, he did order some V2s, yep. Did he? Yeah. I need to uh, shamelessly just, maybe I can use that for a, a sales sales line at some point. It's like, oh, yeah, guaranteed to increase your catching by right by 50, 50%. Um, I used to say, because I remember one time I played in a AZ dodgeball tournament, and I rolled my ankle. And um, I, it was weird because it was actually in Tucson League on Wednesday, and we played that tournament Saturday, and I obviously could not jump, but I was catching – like virtually everything we ended up winning. I was like, Hmm, jumping goes down, catching goes up. And to this day, I have to remind myself that because like you said, if I jump, I'm going to land and, and people that know me are just going to wait for that leg to come down. And I, right. they, all you gotta do is just time it. And I, I do it all the time to people. I like love that pump fake and just see where that ankle is going. Just take out the shin. Right. Cause I try not you to get him to the move foot. and then you hit him. Right. And it's, it's right like, there. if I'm going to drop, the only place you could hit me is in my head or in my catch zone. Right. So, yep, jumping down, catching up, but um, I forgot what you, you've mentioned something else. Um, it, yeah, insanity. If if you want to like increase your vertical, do some insanity. Like if there is one workout I could ever recommend to help with dodgeball lateral movements, explosiveness, agility, and jumping, it is one hundred percent. What is it? Eight weeks with Sean T. It's oh God, it's so many burpees. Yeah. And it's one of those where like P90X was like, you have a 30 minute warm up and then an hour workout and then a 30 minute cool down. Insanity is like 10 minute warm up, 45 minutes, you're done. Right. Which is one of those like, yeah, but the warm up is really good. And it's, and it's all body weights. Like you're not using weights, right? You're just doing everything yourself. It's all body stuff. Yeah. The, but uh, so much jumping, so much jumping and so many burpees. Just so much sweat. I remember doing that with Carlos, um, at the house on Irving and just, just dying. And then so much jumping. Just when you think you're ready to, like, you you go to like week four, you wrap it up, and you're like, okay, I, I think I can get the hang of this. And you go into recovery week, and you're like, yeah, I feel actually feel really good. And then Sean <laughs> T just all again. Go, he just kicks you into week two or month two, and he just beats the crap out of you even more, and it's even worse. And you just feel like you just started all over, and you're like, this doesn't end, does it? It just never, <laughs> never ends. But it is such a good. To this day, man, it's still one of my favorite go-tos. Like, I'll still sometimes try to knock out a, a session or two just if I can hang. But um, that that it's, is... It's a ton of cardio, which is like... It's one of those things... Dodgeball, depending on how you play it, you need a lot of cardio or you don't. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm one of those players that doesn't need as much cardio until I'm like the last one in and you realize, oh man, this is so much cardio. <laughs> and it's one of the... Insanity is one of those things where it just really boosts your cardio a lot and like i remember back then when i did insanity like i could play for hours and hours and like oh i'm not actually winded like i can do this and now it's like i'm last one in for three minutes and it's like oh god that was the longest three minutes of my life (laughs) do you remember 
I'm going to go back to this a lot earlier in the conversation. Going back to the ILC days. So we would play dodgeball, U of A. Uh, I mean, it was just like who could still stand because we would play till like 2, 3 o'clock yeah, in the we'd morning. We would play until everyone went home. Yeah, we'd, we'd start, start at, at what? 7, 7.30. Yeah. Sun went down. Okay, we're playing dodgeball. All right. Everyone left. Oh, it's 3 in the morning, right? It's just me, Dylan, Mason, and Logan playing against each other. I can't, I can't stand anymore, or my arm is done. Okay, guys, let's wrap it up. Oh, it's it's also 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay, very well then. I guess let's go to Broadway Cafe and get some food. Yes, or IHOP, and then right. go to Pima, and we played from 8 to 10. Sometimes one of you guys could hack into the light system and get us another, an additional 30 minutes, so we'd be done at 10.30. And then I remember when we went to the church, it was like 7 to... It was supposed to be like seven to ten, but it was yeah. we had the key, so it was seven until we wanted to stop. Yeah, so seven to ten was like prime dodgeball hours, and then from like ten to midnight was like the true diehards, and then from like one to two things just got weird. Like, yeah, that's that when, was we, when we'd like, oh, full court, put the tables around for obstacles. Let's play some elimination. Right? Exactly. Yeah, and then um, so I mean, coming from that background, playing, you know, five six hours a night every Saturday, that that definitely really got us into shape when we would go play against Phoenix, especially with the running gun mentality. Yeah. I couldn't imagine doing that right now. Like I'm, I'm pretty winded after two hours of open gym. feels good though. But yeah, I just remember just how, how the heck did we last so damn long back then? <clears throat> um, let's take a real quick break. All right. So, um, even though that felt like 15 minutes to me, I realized as we were recording that we were itching towards or inching towards the two hour mark. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go ahead and uh, basically break this off into two parts. So that will be the end of part one and uh, we'll see you in part two. All right. So I know I really don't like to put a time limit or, um, yeah, I don't like to rush. I don't, I don't even like to think about what I'm saying, actually. Three, two, 